Oh, that was a good song. It's, uh, it's funny, me and Tyler, I take him to school on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And I've got him hooked on black gospel music. So he'll be in the back seat and he'll be like, Dad, turn it up. Turn it up. And what I love is he started to ad-lib now. So we'll be listening to the song and he'll be like, Dad, who's our Lord? Who's our Lord, Dad? At first, I thought he was just asking me a question. I was like, well, Jesus. He's like, no, Dad. Who's our Lord? Jesus. <laughs> so it's funny because I got this curly-haired, blonde, white kid in the backseat of my car grooving to black gospel music. <laughs> it's actually funny. I love having toddlers, especially Tyler right now is big into learning new words. Uh, everybody remember that stage where your kid hears something and they want to use it themselves? So the other night we were playing this video game and uh, I was playing for him because he kept dying. So I was playing and he looked at me and he goes, Dad, you're a genius at this game. And I was like, even from a four-year-old it feels good to be called a genius. The funny part though was about ten minutes later he looked at me and he goes, Dad, what's genius mean? <laughs> and I went, okay, <laughs> makes sense now. <laughs> I share that with you because it's funny how we sometimes use terminology that we've heard and even as adults we do this we use terminology that we've heard and we act like we know what it means but we really have no clue what it means at all I know this at work, at work we use acronyms for everything so nothing is called what it's called you know like we call departments by like, well I work in ESM which means enterprise strategy and marketing right but we don't say enterprise strategy and marketing and so what you always love is you'll have a bunch of these acronyms going and you know half the people in the room have no idea what's being said but they're all like uh-huh yep yep yeah we yeah, got to get with Ebo to work out the ESM thing because that's big and you'll be like hey guys what's Ebo mean um it's something <laughs> and no one knows no one knows. Everybody just nods their head and smiles at it. And so what we're going to talk about today is one of those things where you're going to go, like Pastor Luke, duh, everybody knows that. Everybody understands that. But I don't really think we do. I think we use this terminology. I think we use this language. But I don't think we really get to the heart of what it means and what God's trying to say to us. So we're in the middle of our series called I Am Harmony. And the point of this series is to ask yourself the question, do you go to church or are you the church? And there's a big difference between that. Going to church is you as a consumer, as a spectator, going to watch, to be entertained, to be and energized to be motivated but it's not you with your power your ability your love what God's giving you building the kingdom it's the spectator versus a participant and what God has said he wants his church to be is a body of believers who are doing the work so we've highlighted the key to this series three things we need to be sinking in this head meditating on praying about first first Corinthians chapter 12 for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For this body does not consist of one member, but of many. Amen. What's God's point? His spirit brings people from all places together and unites them as one. No longer do we see nationality. No matter do we see ethnicity. No longer do we see socioeconomic background. No longer do we see any of those things that divide. What we see is a room of God's children. 
And what we realize is we are all here as one to accomplish His work. The second thing that's important to remember is that spirit that He says unites us. What kind of spirit is it? It's not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And so we talked about this in the previous sermon series. Every single one of you should be able to look in the mirror and go, I am powerful, I am loving, and I am self-disciplined. And not because of you, but because of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, the Spirit of God that empowers you, the Spirit of God that drives you to look like His Son, Jesus. So we've got to remember that's that Spirit pulling us together, and it's the Spirit making us look that way. The third thing I've asked you to keep in mind is our mission as a church. Our mission wasn't sat in a room where 12 guys said, hey, let's come up with something that sounds real smart. We said, look at God's Word. What does it say the church is supposed to be? It says we are building a family of disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. Building a family of disciples that love God, love people, follow Jesus. So we've talked about building a family. Last week we talked about what it meant to be a disciple. And this week we're going to focus on the one that just seems like, of course, love God. Now, these two words sound real simple. But the problem with it is, is just because something sounds simple doesn't mean it's easy to do. And frankly, this is one of those places where I think all of us talk about loving God, but very few of us do it. So first let's define that word love. Love, according to God, is what? Sacrifice. Love is not, I like you. Love is not, it's nice to be around you. Love is not like, hey, I'd like to be your friend. Love is, you are more significant than I. Love is, I am obsessed with being in your presence, and I will sacrifice anything and everything to be near you. That's hard in our world because we don't use love that way. I told you before, we are the worst people in the world at the term love. Most countries, most languages, they have six or seven different words for love. Because they understand there's a difference between saying, hey, I love the color blue, and I love my son Tyler. They understand that there should be a difference between saying, hey, I love watching TV on a Sunday, and I love my family. Hopefully, those are not the same emotions. Hopefully that love you have for your child falls into the category of I die for them. And hopefully when you were talking about the pizza place you like to go to, that doesn't mean you die for it. Hopefully that just means you like to go there when you have a few extra bucks and you'd be a little bummed out if they closed. Hopefully that's what you mean. And so when we talk about loving God, we have to ask ourselves, do we really mean that word? Because frankly, here's what I see. I see a lot of people who believe in God. I see a lot of people who will acknowledge mentally that He exists. I see a lot of people who hope that God is watching them and has their back. I see a lot of people who will admit that it's possible He exists. But I don't know how many people I see who are in love with God. Now, think about that for a difference, how drastic of a difference that is from acknowledgement of existence and love. There's a heck of a lot of people that acknowledge I exist. But they don't love me. And frankly, a lot of people who acknowledge that I exist still treat me pretty bad. Right? 
So does God want you simply to acknowledge that he's present? Does God okay if your emotions towards him are just simply the mental submission that, yeah, I think there's a God. Yeah, I believe he's there. Yeah, I think he's a good guy. I think he's probably pretty smart. No! I mean, think for a second if that's how your spouse described your relationship. Do you love your husband? Well, I know he exists. I hope he's nice to me. You know, he seems to be helpful at times. You know, I'll lean on him every now and then. Frankly, though, a lot of times I have no idea what he's saying or doing. If that's how you would describe your spouse relationship, I'd go, let's set up counseling. Okay, I got office hours. Let's talk because you got problems. That shouldn't be how you describe a loving relationship. A loving relationship should be, man, I'm so obsessed with her. I gotta be where she's at. If my day doesn't start with hearing her voice, if my end, day doesn't end next to her, it's a bad day. I wanna be around her, I gotta hear her, I gotta know her, I gotta share with her. Big things and little things. I wanna constantly be around her because she makes me better and she gives me peace. God, that's how you wanna describe a relationship. So when you talk about loving God, is it he exists, he's around, He's nice to know. I read his book every now and then. Or is it, man, I love God. He's awesome. He's so awesome. Every time I'm around him, I learn more. Every time I work with him, I get to do things I never thought I could do before. Man, every time I'm in his word, he brings new truth to me that I never knew before. God, being with him makes me feel alive. And frankly, whenever I'm not with them, I don't even feel like I'm alive anymore. In fact, there's no way you can ever pull me from him because I'm obsessed with being in his presence. I love him that much. Is that the way you feel about him? If it's more mental acknowledgement that he exists, well, guys, Satan knows that. So it doesn't take that much to know God exists. Scientists to this day who are trying to disprove that a God exists struggle with the fact that everywhere they look, it seems that somebody intelligent created this place. So admitting that he exists is like, okay, great, thanks. I don't really think God cares that you did that. He cares that you love him. So how do we do that? I want to give you three things. First, acknowledge God, he is the creator. This is one of the easiest ways to just admit the guy is awesome. And the reason we do this is just think as human beings. We are driven to almost worship in awe people who do awesome things. Right? Why do we jump up when we see a professional athlete slam dunk a basketball? Because there's a moment where you go like, that was cool. He just did something most people can't do. Like 1% of the entire world's population can just do what that man just did. That was cool. It's why when we listen to certain some people sing, we go, oh my goodness, shakes you right here. Because you realize you're listening to somebody who has this unbelievably rare instrument that nobody else has. You're like, I sing all the time. Never shakes my soul. But I listen to that person, I feel like crying. Right? We are constantly aware of when awesome, amazing things happen. Our heart almost just naturally worships. 
So one of the biggest things that we can do as people is, is just acknowledge how cool is God? How awesome is He? And one of the easiest ways to do that is with creation. Look at Nehemiah 9.6. You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. What's Nehemiah saying? He's saying, God, you're cool. You're awesome. Not only have you made earth, not only have you made the waters, not only have you made the sky, not only have you made the heavens, which I can't even see, but you've made everything that populates them. All the creatures, all the animals, all the fish, all the angels that I can't even put my eyes upon. And not only did you create them all, every single day you wake up and you manage it all. Every single day God just keeps this place going. And He does it effortlessly. I mean, have you ever just found yourself getting lost in the skyline? Just staring at a sunset? One of, my, one of my favorite things that me and Nicole always try to do when we, we go on vacation is we try to find a place that will take our breath away. And what's cool is we've learned, especially now that we don't have as much money, is you can find those places all around you. You don't have to travel. It's unbelievable distance to find things that take your breath away. Hey, you guys want to take your breath away? Go drive to Hill Country. And just park. And just stare out at land that no man has ever touched. And you go, man, this is gorgeous. It's unbelievably gorgeous. One of my favorite things at work is we have this big TV screen. And the screensaver on it is these beautiful nature pictures. And all these pictures, the one thing about them is there's never any vehicles, there's never any buildings, there's never any roads. It's just unadulterated land that God has created. And I, I can get lost just staring at it. It's like, that place is so beautiful. It's so gorgeous. It's amazing. Not only did God create all that, but do you realize the awesome power He has just to keep up with us? Like how many of you just daily get lost in your emails and text messages and phone calls? Does anybody have like a list of emails they have not responded to? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. Me, I'm a little OCD when it comes to my emails and my text messages. I do not believe I should have to scroll. If I have enough messages that I have to scroll up or down to see all of them, I feel like I'm not doing my job. So I try to keep it on a one screen view that I can glance and view things. My wife has 5,678 unread emails. When I get her phone, I feel stress. I will sometimes just grab her phone and start deleting stuff. And she'll be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, you have 5,000 unread emails. You have to do something about this. She's like, who cares? I'm like, I care. Don't you want to know what those are? It drives me nuts. What's crazy is, is it's so easy for me to get bogged down. Do you understand that your God, besides creating everything, also knows every single thought that goes through every single living being's head? Can you even imagine that? I mean, just this room alone. Can you imagine right now all the things God's having to hear? <laughs> Hopefully you're awake. 
It's time change, so it might be a little bit quieter this morning. But just imagine all those things. And he just deals with it. It's just what he does. If you don't think that's awesome, I don't know how to explain it to you better. That's amazing to me. And in the midst of doing all that, do you know my favorite part? I can sit down with him and go, I need to talk, Dad. And he'll go, let's talk. Me? I got 10 emails and I'm like, son, wait a second. Daddy's got important work to do. God's managing the cosmos and he goes, yes, son, let's talk. What do you want to talk about? That's awesome. That's literally awesome. Look at Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Here's the other part of him being a creator that's amazing to me. I love the way he creates. God just didn't like create like this machine that spits out people and go like, okay, on. I'll be back to you in a little bit. How does he describe it? He took the dirt of the ground and he shaped it. He formed it. And then he breathed his life into it to make it come alive. When you read about how God describes the creation of man, it is not this like, man, oh, he exists. Even when he describes everything else, it kind of sounds that way, right? God said, let there be light. Sun appears. God says, let there be water. Oceans appear. God says, let there be animals. Animals appear. But when it comes to man, all of a sudden you get these beautiful descriptions of God the Creator shaping, weaving, threading, putting together man's soul. And what you start to realize is every single one of us is a handcrafted masterpiece of God. And so what's even cooler to me is, is now what I realize is when I watch that basketball player steal the ball, run down the court in two seconds, jump ten feet in the air and throw it down, do you know who made him? God did. When I watch Usain Bolt run on a nine-second, 100-meter dash, I go, God is awesome. Because God made that. Now, when I look at a beautiful painting, I don't just think of the creativity of the painter. I think of God created a person who could think that creatively. Awesome. All around you, there are people who are amazing, loving, creative, cool, fun. And you know what you realize? All of them? Masterpieces of God. The little pieces of Him. How awesome. How amazing. I gotta tell you the one thing that has drawn me closer to my God than anything, and that's my children. When you have one of those kids and you realize how joyful they are and how amazing they are, and you realize God gave you that, you're like, you love me. You must love me in a way I just don't even understand to give me this. Now granted, there's those days where you're like, God, you can take them back. But for the most part, it's just this awesome, amazing, wonderful thing. But all those things draw your eyes to God. In fact, one of the biggest things you guys should always be working on in your lives and in your children's lives is asking yourself, what are the things that make me realize the awesomeness of God? then fill your life with them. If when you go hiking, you think about God's awesomeness, go hiking. If when you listen to Christian music, it makes you think about the love of God, listen to Christian music. You find those things that make you look at Him and go, Father, You're great. And you fill your life with them. 
And then vice versa, you find those things that block your vision from the Father, and you get rid of them. You find those things that try to block you from seeing Him, and you go, uh-uh, no room for you in my life. Because my life is about a clear vision to see Him. He's an awesome, awesome creator. Second thing, He's just plain awesome. He's just plain awesome. Besides being the creator, God is just awesome. And when I say that, I mean it in the true sense. You and I use awesome for things that are truly not awesome. In fact, I would encourage you that if you really thought about all the times you've ever used the word awesome in your life, probably none of them were actually awesome. You get what that word means, right? Awe-inspiring. Something of such great beauty, magnitude, that when you look at it, you are stricken with awe. There are no words for what you feel. So besides God being the creator that shaped you, He's just unbelievable. He's just unbelievable. Look at Romans 1.20. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made... So they are without excuse. What's Paul saying? He's saying God's fingerprints are over everything. They're over absolutely everything. Nobody can say they've never seen God. You see Him every day. You see Him in everything. It's funny, right now in our culture we have this fake belief that science and God are at war. And that science and knowledge will show you a world where God doesn't exist. It's so foolish. Right now, if you talk to the best and most brilliant minds that study cosmology, not cosmetology, cosmology, the beginning of the universe, they will tell you that all they can determine at this point in time is that right now they can show at one point all the matter in the entire universe was in one singular location then some force, which is beyond the laws of nature, in a burst of light, made all that stuff start to move. And once that stuff started to move, life began, earth began to form, and human life came into existence. Now this is really hard for atheist cosmologists to study. You know why? It sounds like Genesis. So a force greater than the laws of nature in a burst of light created everything. Isn't there a book that starts that way? In fact, I was reading this one guy and he's not even a believer and he goes, the single greatest description of how the earth ever began exists in Genesis chapter 1. And he goes, I don't even know how they knew that back then. They couldn't see what we can see. They didn't know what we could know. They couldn't measure what we could measure. But for somehow, some way, that book got right how the universe began. It's crazy. And it's not just when you look at big stuff. You can go with little stuff. As we start to look at the human genome and understand DNA, do you know what surprises everybody? Do you know what DNA really is? It's a set of instructions. It's a set of instructions on what a human body can be and do. Well, guys, if you ever find a set of instructions, what do you know? Somebody smart wrote them. Sets of instructions don't just appear. 
So if inside every single human being, there's a set of instructions that show how that human being should be, well, doesn't that suggest to us an intelligent being created them? You don't just have instructions appear out of nowhere. So everywhere you look, even as we get smarter, even as we get more powerful, everything screams, there's an intelligent creator that made this all happen. Everything. That's what Paul's saying here. Everything. I was watching this uh, sermon from one of my buddies, and he played this video clip, and it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. He says, the stars in the sky sing. There's an inaudible sound that only at a certain spectrum can you hear, but literally the stars as they move are playing music. God can hear that. And then he went on and he started playing the music that you hear in the ocean that comes from whales and from other beings that humans can't even hear. And he started going through all the things on the planet. And he's like, if you were God, every day you'd just wake up to the world singing to you. Just earth, nature, everything just singing to you. And what's cool is, you know what this book says? Exactly that. It says, even if we went sing, the rocks would scream up to God Himself. And what people are showing today is that it's actually happening. We just don't sense it. That's how awesome God is. Look at Job 38. This is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And I shouldn't say that because I say that about every verse I go to. My wife's like, you have like a lot of favorite chapters. <laughs> so Job chapter 38. If you don't know the story of Job, let me give you a quick insight to where we're at. Job is a really great guy. He's so great, God brags about him. Like, that's my dream. My dream is that God wakes up one day and goes, that Luke? That Luke guy, he's pretty good, man. Hey, Satan, have you seen Luke? Luke is kicking butt every day. He's my man. I'm so proud of him. That's Job. God wakes up, looks at Satan and goes, have you seen Job? This guy. That is my boy. And Satan goes, the only reason Job's good is because he's got a lot. You let me take his stuff and he'll turn on you. And God goes, do your worst. My boy will stand by me no matter what. And so for 30 some chapters, we watch Job go through unbelievable pain, unbelievable loss, but he continues to not try to turn his back on God. There's only one problem with Job. Job keeps thinking some kind of cosmic mistake has happened. He's sitting there going, I'm a good guy. I love God. I serve Him. I pray to Him. I follow the rules. This shouldn't have happened to me. And what he keeps saying is, man, if I could just talk to God, I'm sure He would realize in our conversation something, a mistake was made. Well, God finally shows up. And you can imagine that God does not like being accused of making mistakes. And so in Job 38, it says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Right there you know, right? God showed up how? In the whirlwind. Not the way I want God to show up if He's going to talk to me. Right? I want the gentle breeze. Right? I want the warm sun. I do not want whirlwind God showing up to have a discussion with me. Alright? So whirlwind God shows up and He says this, Who is this? that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Dress for action like a man, I will question you and make it known to me. Man, I love that. 
Who is foolishly talking about me? Man up. It's time to have a discussion, son. Put your big boy pants on, because we're going to talk about what's real here. And then look at what he goes on to say. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed its limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. If you just keep reading, he just keeps going. You know what he's saying to Job? Job, do you understand who I am? Do you get who I am? You don't even know the depths of this ocean. I made them. You don't even understand all the cosmic things that are happening. I don't only create them, but I've kept them in charge, and I run them every single day. I don't make mistakes, Job. My thoughts are here, and yours are here. Basically, what he's trying to tell Job is, is the same way when your toddler comes to you and goes, Dad, we need to talk because your life's on the wrong path. Be like, son, you don't even have, what are you talking about? Your understanding of life right now is so small for you to think you can explain to me how things should be shows just how foolish you are. He's awesome. He is awesome beyond all means. He's the awesome creator. He is the awesome manager of the universe. He is the awesome one that listens to everything we say and do. And not only that, he's just brilliant. He's just absolutely brilliant. I know you can't read this, so let me read this to you. I was studying this week about the impacts of God's wisdom on earth. There's this thing that we call common grace. And what common grace states is that God is so powerful, God is so loving, God is so awesome, that everybody benefits from it, even if they refuse to acknowledge that He exists. And so I was studying what Christianity has done to the world, how it's impacted it. And I came across this passage from this historian. It said, The liberty and justice that are enjoyed by humans in Western societies and in some non-Western countries are increasingly seen as the products of a benevolent, secular government that is the provider of all things. There seems to be no awareness that the liberties and rights that are currently operative in free societies of the West are to a great degree the result of Christianity's influence. History is replete with examples of individuals who acted as a law unto themselves, often curtailing, even obliterating, the natural rights and freedoms of the country's citizens. Christianity's influence, however, set into motion the belief that man is accountable to God, and that the law is the same regardless of status. More than 1,000 years before the birth of Christ, the biblical requirements given by Moses comprised an essential component of that principle. No man is above the law. And so this was a very long paper, but basically what it showed is Christianity has changed everything about government. Prior to Christianity, it was not unusual to live in a place where those with power would kill you and take what was yours. And nobody went, Hey, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. 
people would go, you're powerful, you can do whatever you want. It's Christianity and God's wisdom from both the Jews that he raised up in Israel and from the Christian church that he built that taught the world that you should take care of the weak. That there are certain things that are right and there are certain things that are wrong, no matter who you are. Many of the laws and freedoms that you and I enjoy every day that protect us and keep us safe are built on the foundation of Scripture. And so what's awesome about God is not only is He this amazing Creator, but when He shows His wisdom to us, it reshapes everything. Now what's funny is we're so silly now, we think we did this. We're like, well that's because people are good. It's because people are wise. And historians are like, no! For thousands of years people ruled. And they murdered, pillaged, killed, and wiped out people. And nobody blinked an eye. It wasn't until a Jewish carpenter started to teach people about God's love and God's laws that all of a sudden the world started to have a new definition of what right and what wrong was. I go, that's awesome. That is awesome when the brilliance of God changes the world throughout. Even people today who would sit there and go, I don't believe in Him. I don't think He's real would still go, oh, but, you know, I do like a lot of the rules in here. The morality and ethics in here, yeah, that's good stuff to live by. I mean, even think about just your elementary school. In elementary school, what is the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Gosh, where'd that come from? Scripture. Your God is awesome. And here's the last part I'm going to give you. He's your Father. Of all the things that you worship because you think they're awesome, and when I say worship, I mean those things that we probably put too much energy, too much love into, too much joy in. Whether it's your San Antonio Spurs or your Dallas Cowboys or Adele singing a song or whatever it is where you just get all bent out of shape because someone's awesome. The reality is those people don't know you, they don't love you, and they don't care about you. And it's not because they're not good people. It's just, frankly, they don't know you. You can learn all the stats about Tim Duncan. You can know how tall he is, how many points he scored, where he lives, what kind of car he drives, and guess what? If you walked into a room with him, he would have no idea who you are. He would just see another fan. Yet God, in all that awesomeness, looks at you and goes, Child, my beloved child, how awesome to be with you. How cool is that? How amazing is it that the most powerful being in the universe desires one thing, and that's for you to talk to Him. For you to love Him. For you to be in His presence. I told you last week, one of the things that Jesus did that made people mad is He referred to God the Father, this Abba, which meant Dad. The Pharisees... The Sadducees, they didn't understand this. They were so scared to talk about God, they wouldn't even say His name. In fact, if you, if you ever really get into theological study, you will still come across books that refer to God as Yahweh, but they won't spell His name fully because they believe it's blasphemy to do such. They're afraid to even just say the name. That's how the word Jehovah came. If you've ever heard the word Jehovah, it was created as a replacement for the name Yahweh 
so that you could say that instead of the name which they felt was forbidden. And here Jesus shows up and goes, Dad, people don't get that. Who do you think you are to talk to God the Creator as Dad? And Jesus goes, I'm His Son. That's who I think I am. And the beauty is, that's you and me. Look at Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I don't have to look at the most powerful being in the universe and be afraid. I get to look at him and say, Dad, Father, talk to me. How amazing. How unbelievable. Look at Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's that saying? Nobody's going to move your dad from you. Nobody is taking you from your dad. He has you. He loves you. And he's not going anywhere. One of my favorite stories that shows this is in Exodus 13, and I'm just going to summarize it for you. In Exodus 13, we see the people of Israel who for hundreds of years have been slaves finally escaping. Now, as they escape, there's an interesting emotion among the people. There's a little bit of happiness because they're leaving these captive or captors that have been punishing them and burdening them and putting hate upon them. But there's also a little bit of fear because all they really know how to be is slaves. They don't know how to be their own people. They don't know how to rule themselves. They don't know how to fight. They don't know how to take care of themselves. They only know how to be slaves. Kind of reminds us like sometimes at work, right? We always think about if I were just the boss, I would do things better. But then every now and then you watch someone actually become the boss and they're like, I have no idea what to do. It was a lot easier to complain about the other boss. But now that I'm in the seat, I get why they made bad decisions because I don't know what to do either. And so as they're traveling, God realizes his people, his children, they're scared. They're scared, and he does this awesome, amazing thing. As they're traveling, he makes his presence physically aware to them. By day, he travels with them as a cloud. A cloud that gives them shade and lets them travel in the cool. Not only does it give that physical comfort, it also gives them that, that spiritual comfort that he's there, that he's present. By night that cloud turns into a pillar of fire. And so the cloud that in the day was giving shade now becomes one of flame that gives them light at night. And if you've ever seen a scared child, man, do you just make them feel better when you put a nightlight in the room. It's basically what God was doing for His people. I'll give you warmth. I'll let you see. You will know that I am here. As they travel this way, there becomes a point where God's people are coming close to the sea and the Egyptian pharaoh has decided to go back on his word. And so he and his armies, one of the greatest armies in all of history, start to charge the people. 
These people, they're terrified because they stand and they look out at a sea in front of them that they cannot cross. And they look behind them and they see one of the greatest armies in the world charging them to kill them. And in that moment, they are terrified. There's nowhere to go. In that moment, they assume they're going to die. And in that moment, God looks at Moses and He tells him, you split the sea, I'm going to go take care of them. And that cloud comes and it settles behind those people and it blocks the vision of Pharaoh's army. Prevents them from moving forward. Man, when I read that story, I go, that's a dad. That's a dad who realized his children needed his presence. That's a dad who at the night stayed by the bed and said, don't worry, son, everything's okay. That's a dad who when he saw the enemies coming for his child said, I got this, you get behind me. That's the dad that you have. Just the way he loved them. Just the way he served them. Just the way he protected them. He will do for you if you love him. The greatest limiter in your relationship with God is not him. It is you. Some of you have sadly settled to just acknowledge that God exists. Some of you have just settled to believe that He is there and that one day hopefully you'll see Him in heaven. Stop settling for that. God doesn't want you to just acknowledge His existence. He wants you to love Him. He wants you to come into His family and He wants you to be His child. It doesn't take a genius to know God exists. That's easy. But it takes an open heart to acknowledge that I am a little child, not a powerful man, and I need my dad. That's the hard part for us. The ego to realize you're not powerful. You can't do this on your own. You need dad. But my goodness, if you're willing to admit that, Oh, it opens up an amazing relationship. You will never be sad to have your father by your side. So as we go to our time of prayer, I encourage you, talk to God the Father, not as God, but as Dad. Just talk to Him. Talk to Him about what's on your heart. Talk to Him about what's on your mind. Talk to Him as you would your Father. I guarantee you, if you will truly and honestly do that, you will hear Him speak to you in a way that you haven't heard Him before. Maria, if you'll come up and lead us in song, I'm going to ask all of you to stand and let's pray where we're at to our Father in Heaven.